Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Leaves have a very different jobs. They do photosynthesis, they do gas exchange, water exchange. So how do they actually end up being such a variety of shapes? Well, joining me now is Dr. Katie Gray Ferris. Uh, she is assistant professor in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Tulane University in the United States. Welcome uh, to the program, Katie, and thanks for joining us. This is actually something that um, we've been doing the program for like 13 years. And it's something that never occurred to me, but if you walk through the forests um, of Dublin, you'll come across a hundred different leaf shapes and yet they're all in the same place, using the same air, getting the same amount of water. And I'd never really thought about leaf shape, but this is something you're very interested in. Absolutely, yes. And thank you for having me, Jonathan. Um, So this is something that I'm interested in my research. uh, And I think, you know, leaf shape is, once you notice it, I feel like you can't stop noticing it, or at least I can't. Um, And It's really diverse across species, but even within plant species, there's variation um, in the shape of leaves when they're growing in different environments or sometimes even on the same plant. Um, So I think it's really fascinating and also quite beautiful. So give us a bit of plant biology then. What is a leaf made of? And are all leaves essentially made of the same thing? Um, Yes. So all leaves have, you know, similar structures. So they, you know, they have veins which convey water, um, you know, out to the, the leaf They have the machinery to do photosynthesis within their cells. You know, the cells are all made up the same way. Um, And they tend to develop, you know, kind of through the same sorts of processes off of the shoot apical meristem, which is the the sort of main developmental organ of the plant as the plant is growing and leaves kind of pop off of it periodically throughout development. So, yeah, the process of leaves being made is very similar um, across plants. And and so, I mean... When you think about the leaf, right, it has these functions that we talked about. Um, Mm -hmm. Surely through evolution, trees would have evolved the perfect leaf shape and that would have been it. A a leaf that has, you know, thin, broad, um, gets lots of sunlight, um, gets lots of water and feeds the plant. Um, Surely all leaves should look the same. (laughs) Well, yes. Well, I disagree with you there and as does nature. So... um You know, so first of all, we always are a little careful about calling things perfect um, because of evolution. So, you know, evolution can optimize traits, absolutely, but it also has to work with whatever is already existing in the population and the ancestor, right? So it can't always be perfect. But beyond that, there are just a lot of different types of environments in terms of light, right? You know, so as you're walking through the park or the forest, you're walking into sun, you know, little blocks of sun, you're walking into little spots of shade, um, and leaves experience that too. So they experience very different light environments, even within what seems like to us the same type of habitat. But then they also grow in very different types of places. They grow in deserts, they grow um, on high mountaintops, you know, and they grow in uh, sort of tropical forests that are very dense in vegetation, in grasslands. So there's a lot of different just light environments, let alone moisture and temperature. Right. Um, And and, and that makes sense. Obviously, you know, a desert leaf would obviously, to me, look different to a, you know, a a lush forest leaf. Um, Mm -hmm. But but we even in, in, you know, the same geof a geographic location, we'd have one tree right beside another and one would have really spiny leaves, another would have really broad leaves. Um, mm-hmm. d- what are the different functions um, uh, that, that these different shapes might provide? Like what is the benefit of being a thin, Absolutely. Sp- spiny, crappy leaf when you could be a nice big broad <laughs> oak leaf, you know? Yes. So, so the leaf shape affects um, leaf physiology. So kind of how leaf 
can kind of obtain energy and also maintain water um, and heat balance. So, you know, leaves are exposed to the sun. They're absorbing um, solar radiation, which is important for photosynthesis, of course, and producing their own food and food for all of us. Um, not to mention air, but then also, you know, they're heating up. So getting a lot of sunlight causes leaf temperature to rise, and that can be bad for photosynthesis and for protein stability and basically for leaf function. So if leaves rise too far above air temperature, um, they can kind of start to lose their photosynthetic function and and not do so well. So leaf shape um, through this thing called the boundary layer, um, which is sort of this region of immobile air adjacent to the leaf surface. Um, So leaf shape affects the thickness of that region of immobile air, and that affects how efficiently heat is exchanged between the leaf and the air. Um, So leaves that are, as you say, crappy, (laughs) that are, say, really thin or spiny, actually have very uh, thin boundary layers, which means that they can equilibrate to air temperature very efficiently, just through sort of air movement over the leaf. And that can be really good because it means that they won't heat up as much even though there's, say, some direct sunlight on them. And that could be good for photosynthesis and plant function um, in general. So that's one thing that's good for leaf shape. Right. And um, the the uh, leaves themselves, do they perform any other functions apart from the ones I've talked about? Um, because you'd imagine, uh, for example, do, do leaves have a part in uh, repelling insects at all? Absolutely. So, yeah, there's kind of three big hypotheses about why leaf shape might be adaptive, these differences in leaf shape we see across the landscape and across species. Um, and so there are several having to do with sort of heat um, and water, but then there's actually one about um, herbivore resistance, so resistance to pathogens and herbivores. Um, And those are a little bit less well-tested, honestly, Um, but some of the ideas are that leaves of different shapes might be harder or easier for insects to graze on, right? There might be more efficient grazing on, say, maybe a big round leaf, Mm. lots of easy area to munch on if you're a caterpillar or something, whereas maybe a really lobed or dissected leaf like a fern or something, it's going to be harder for you to move around. It's going to cost more energy. So maybe you just don't like those leaves as much. And that could be a deterrent, um, you know, which would be good on the leaves, uh, you know, account, on the plant's account, since it does not want to be munched. Um, So there could be things like that. And then also because, again, we know that shape affects sort of the heat and gas exchange rates of the leaf, that could affect, um, you know, the types of pathogens. Pathogens may prefer certain temperatures of leaves. So maybe staying cooler or warmer as a leaf actually deters some of those, like say fungal pathogens or bacterial pathogens that want a particular environment to sort of thrive in. Right. Um, When we look at uh, various uh, leaf shapes, do we know um, uh, why they are the the way they are? Have we we, um, we been able to test the evolution in modeling? in the way that we can test other things um, uh, and predict how leaf shape might evolve. Is that something that we're looking at? Yes, absolutely. So that's something I'm actually interested in my research, um, not as much in the modeling area, but actually looking at repeated evolution of leaf shape across different species um, in similar environments. So I study these monkey flowers that are native to Western North America, um, and multiple species have 
adapted to very rocky, dry outcrops. So pretty extreme little plant habitats. What does a monkey flower look like? Um, well, they're adorable, obviously, because I study them. Um, and so they're, the ones I study are these little yellow flowers. And apparently someone thought they kind of looked like the face of a monkey. I don't see it as much, but they have sort of, you know, a general face shape. They've got two big petals up top and then three sort of fused petals below. Um, and they're very happy, cheery uh, flowers. And they've adapted to a bunch of different sort of extreme microhabitats like big boulders, basically, that they grow out of cracks in the rock. How on earth do you not think these look like monkeys? It's insane how much these flowers look like monkeys. You're probably looking at a different flower. So there's another one that's called the monkey-faced. Okay. Oh, yeah, there is a, there's a flower called the monkey-faced orchid, which is actually, you're, you're correct, uh, that I'm yeah. looking at. And that's, ins- I mean, it literally is like someone made a little face of a monkey and stuck it on, on a stem. That one actually looks like a monkey. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, oh, I see the monkey flower. Yeah, okay. Yes. I, I agree. It doesn't really look like a monkey. Monkey not, face. not as much as the monkey flower orchid. That's an aside. Yeah. I interrupted you. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's a cute name and you, you got to know, does it look like a monkey? I don't think so. Um, but the other ones do. I agree. Um, so, yeah. So these three species of monkey flower in California have all adapted to grow in the middle of a rock, basically. So there's no soil. They grow in gravel or they grow in little patches of moss. Um, which is a pretty extreme plant habitat. Plants usually like soil and water (laughs) and things like that. So, and each of these species has evolved a lobed leaf shape. So a very like dissected, kind of like an oak, but even more extreme, kind of between like an oak and a tomato, um, if you can envision that. It's sort of uh, dissected, which means it has this thin boundary layer and can very efficiently change its temperature to sort of match air temperature. Um, And when we see repeated evolution of a phenotype um, in different species in the same environment, that's sort of strong evidence that that phenotype is probably adaptive or that trait, that leaf shape is probably adaptive in rocky environments. And that gives us an idea about predictability, um, which I think was your original question. So, you know, when we have a rocky environment in this genus of plants, it seems like we're going to see um, often an evolution of this type of leaf shape to deal with sort of that extreme um, habitat. Right. So if you had that same habitat in another environment, there may be other environmental factors, but you would expect that shape. Um, Yeah, you might expect that shape um, or another shape that also gives you that thin boundary layer because there are a couple different shapes that can do that, like the very thin needle-like leaves we talked about also. So you might see those kinds of shapes more often than, say, a big banana leaf for sure, you know, something that might lose a lot of water and overheat a lot because it's so exposed um, to the sky. How how big do leaves get? I'm trying to think of the largest leaf I've ever seen. How how big do they go? They can get pretty big. I mean, the banana leaf, for example, right? It's kind of the size of a human torso or even longer, um, depending on height and torso length, of course. So, yeah, banana leaves are very, very big. And, you know, it's a single leaf. There's things like palm leaves, but those are kind of compound leaves. So, you know, you could get technical about whether that's really all one leaf. Um, But, yeah, they can get very large. Um, and I'm sure there are larger ones than that. I just what would be the what would be the evolutionary advantage of having one really large leaf? Surely that would leave you very exposed if it got damaged. Yeah. Well, you know, so bananas again are a tropical plant, and they're living in these very shady, wet environments, right? So their their worry, um, you know, if we're going to anthropomorphize a uh, banana, yeah, is to get enough light capture 
um, rather than worry about, say, losing water or overheating because they're really not getting a lot of light. They're growing in the forest understory. Um, so they really want to put out kind of as much leaf tissue as they can to get those little chunks of light that are filtering through um, the forest canopy. And, you know, that's that's their main concern. There's a, It's a very music environment. There's a lot of soil moisture, so they don't have to worry about, say, losing too much through a big leaf. Um, they just need that light. Do... do um. Do leaves follow the the course of the sun or is that Um, depending on species? It depends on the species. So some do, um, absolutely. And some actually do the opposite. So in desert plants, some plants actually point their leaves straight up at the sky so that the least leaf surface um, is available at the midday when the sun is most intense. And then as evening comes on, they lower those leaves back down through like hydraulic movement. This is all water movement. Um, that's what plant movement is, uh, you know, usually definitely happening. Um, there's water moving through the plant to cause the leaves to move and they move back down as the sun angle decreases and it's less intense. Um, and that's actually that's, an adaptation to save water. That's really interesting. So, so what you're saying is the way plants move is, they, is what vessels fill up with water and, and they change the structure? Yeah. So, you know, there's ions moving. Um, So basically ion pumps are, you know, moving ions and then water follows those ions. um, And that is how you get uh, like the sensitive plants. I don't know if you've ever heard the mimosa plant that will fold up when you stroke the leaves. Um, That's how that movement happens. And that's also how these leaves are moving, you know, in the desert plant to avoid um, the sort of direct noontime solar radiation. That's really cool. So, um, Biology, you know, um, animal biologists are, are blessed with, with these animals when, when they're looking at evolution. They're blessed with these animals that have very short lifespan and they can do modeling of environments. So zebrafish, for example, or, or worms mm-hmm. or, or even bacteria. And they can change the environment and see evolution happening pretty much in real time, which is you know, very cool. Are there um, species of plant that, uh, that have very short life cycles where you would be able to introduce different things in an environment and see how leaf shape developed to be able to sort of prove some of the the theories that we're, we're talking about in terms of how leaf shape is determined by evolutionary pressures in an environment? That's a great question for me because that's actually exactly what I do um, with my plants. So the plants I study, these monkey flowers, they have a short life cycle. They're just two months from seed to seed. And so we actually take them into the lab and in the field and we're doing experimental evolution with these plants. Really cool. Uh, well, Dr. Katie Gray Ferris uh, from Tulane University in the United States. Thanks so much for joining us. That was really interesting. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.